Part 1, 5 nil. Pat. And before I say anything, let me say this. All poker players are assholes. The better you get, the bigger that particular personality trait swells. It shouldn't be a surprise considering what it takes to grind for your bread. You gotta be tough for one. Bad beats hit no matter how good you are. You also gotta be mean. You can't make a solid living if you're afraid to bluff off a father who you know put the last of his paycheck on that table, knowing full well his kids will go hungry that night. You gotta be selfish and entitled. Anytime you see chips on the table, you need to think of how you can make them yours. Most of all, you gotta have balls. Ladies need them too. The thing is, being a pro means playing a ton of hands. It's the only way the math will work in your favor. Playing a ton of hands means that you're going to have to go all in with jack shit a lot of times. It ain't poker without bluffing. If you ever get around to developing the stomach for that, putting everything you have with absolutely nothing to back it up, you have two things that can happen. Either you lose it all and have to deal with it, or, what's sometimes worse, you win. See, if you pull that magic act off with any kind of regularity, you start to think you're a god. You convince yourself you can't lose. You're protected. And that's when the god makes sure you remember who really has the power. Danny Messina was a good guy. He tipped on every winner, which is more than I can say for a lot of grinders, especially the ones with bracelets, but you didn't hear that from me. Some folks can figure out algorithm after algorithm of complicated graduate-level mathematics, but still don't understand it's not tipping your dealers that'll break your bankroll. The poker gods have a habit of stepping in on stingy players like that. That's what breaks you. That's another thing. You gamble for a living, you're going to break from time to time. The ones who study the science behind the cards, the math nerds, they can tell you better than I can that it's just how the numbers work out. It's kind of just how nature works, really. Ups and downs and all that. Anyway, I'm getting off track. Danny Messina was a rounder that used to play the Aria games mostly. I met him when he started playing the 5-5. I don't keep any kind of tab on a player until they make it at least to those stakes. He was a bit of a chatty type and I'm always listening, so I got most of his story indirectly. At least at first. Making it short, he was raised by a single mother who died a few months before he moved here. Some kind of fast-acting cancer. Some nasty stuff. He said she told him that her dying wish was that he play cards full-time, since he always talked about how much he liked it. And he told me this part later, after a few cocktails, that his mother never saw him happy, or at least happier, than when he talked about a really good hand. Jump ahead a few hundred thousand hands or so, during which he met his wife and saw her pass away from the same kind of cancer his mom did, and he was broke, yet again. And it wasn't even poker that broke him. He wasn't the best player, especially among the sharks out here in the Mecca, but he could hold his own bankroll and grow it a little better than your average rounder. Unfortunately, much like a lot of rounders, it was sports betting that did him in. And soccer, of all things. Danny was down to maybe three or so big game buy-ins, as in he wasn't going to make his mortgage or his car payment, and since they were already a couple months past due, and because, above all things that were true about Danny Messina, he had bona fide gambler's blood in those veins. He punted what he had left. He was just stupid enough to put his last coins in Argentina's national soccer team, who were playing against the powerhouse Germany. He put the cash on Argentina because his wife had roots there. 
She was about as pocha as they come, to use a word some of our staff use, although she did speak a bit of Spanish. Ironically, her hazel eyes and blonde hair made her look more like the bastards on the other team, bankrupting her beloved husband with each shot into the back of the net. It sounds romantic, and maybe it is, a little, but putting all the cash you had left on a shitty sports bet is just stupid. He sat there at the sports book, alone, and watched 90 minutes of torture until that little Frenchman ref blew the whistle and stopped the bleeding at 5-0, as they say. Then he got up and left the worthless ticket to wilt under what was left of his Manhattan. The couple bucks he left the barman was probably the last bit of cash he had. I never saw him again. Matthew When Danny moved to Las Vegas, I knew he'd be back but I didn't think he'd last as long as he did. He never knew how to handle money. I remember one story, actually. We were kids, like little kids, maybe six, and I was probably still ten. My mom gave him ten bucks for lunch. She always gave us five each, but she didn't have change that day, and I guess Danny was crying about how he wanted the money. It's funny how he was, like, born to see cash and immediately wanted it in his hands or at the very least not in someone else's. Anyway, Mom gave him the Hamilton, he pocketed the bill, and we made our way to school. I'm talking to him about being smart with it and all. Don't flash it, don't put it down. I'm trying to make sure he actually buys lunch that day, and he remembers to get the change to me so I can eat. Didn't want him just going crazy, doubling up on soda and cupcakes. Schools were different back then. You could just buy four or five candy bars out of a vending machine for lunch, and no one would care. Don't even think schools have vending machines today. Anyway, he went ahead and made a bet with the kid about shooting a crumbled up juice box into a trash can or something stupid like that. He won, then kept parlaying it for the entire recess until he was left with just one dollar, which he used on a candy bar, leaving me to an afternoon of science and social studies marred by hunger pains. I know that had he not met Amy, he would have been back in L.A. much sooner. I don't know what he would have done for work, Danny's not the part-time type, but he would have found something here. Vegas can be expensive, not LA expensive, but still a lot for someone who doesn't have anything else keeping him. Danny had everything keeping him once he got with Amy. He always had that luck, like someone looking out for him, making sure he's got someone on the ground watching his back. Mom died in March that year, and Danny met Amy by December. He had been in Vegas for two weeks. He told me that he had been playing 20 hours a day from the moment he set foot in the city. He exaggerates a lot. Said he had gotten a motel and was just driving out to Caesars or the Flamingo at nights and playing the one-two the whole way through. Maybe stopping for a meal, which was probably just a candy bar, maybe with a coffee. Said he hit a hot streak for that second week and was up a few thousand, so he decided to take a night off and hit a bar. He pulled up to a spot off the strip called Mooney's. Danny loves dives. The crowd mixed with the isolation, totally his vibe. He grabbed a stool in the mostly empty joint and ordered his go-to poison back then, Jameson shot in a tall Shinerbach. Told me he was hoping to find some friendly locals there, but there was just a bunch of drunks. I told him that's usually the type that hangs out in dives. I told him that many times, but he never listened. After he finished his second round, he got bored, and since it was so empty, he told the barkeep to put the next round on him. He figured that would at least spark some conversation, It didn't. 
The drunks and drifters just drank up and no one said a word to the benefactor. Except for one. When Danny realized no one was going to say thanks or even acknowledge that he was there, he turned back to the bar and tried to drain his last beer in one gulp. He got the brew stuck in the wrong pipe and had a coughing fit as he tried to clear it. Again, no one seemed to care that the guy who bought them a drink unprovoked was turning purple six feet away from them. He got the situation under control, and right when his eyes cleared from all the water, he looked to his right and saw the Argentine. You ought to think about switching to something smoother than Jameson, Amy commented, grabbing the seat next to him. Danny wiped all the spit and suds from his mouth as he tried to maintain his cool in front of who would become the love of his life. She smiled at him and inquired about the free drink. She told him she thought it was a joke when the bartender told her, so she came out here to see who the comedian was. As it turned out, there was a room in the back, a kind of banquet area. Amy was having a drink alone back there as she read through her work emails. They got to talking and she eventually invited him to her private section as she enjoyed her free Manhattan. She told him that she was an accountant for the Cosmopolitan and she had lived in Vegas her whole life. She had grown up here, studied at the university, and never had any lasting thoughts of leaving. Danny said she laughed when he told her his story. She knew a lot of pro poker players, or at least people who claimed that's how they made their living, and they were all bad with money, but not in a generous way like buying a dive full of strangers' drinks. By the way, that was our mom's money that brought these two together. When she died, she left us a little cash, and it was more than enough for a proper funeral, so we walked away with one final gift. I used my cash to get a car. My mom always made fun of my old Taurus, and she was joking a little, but she made me promise to upgrade. My wife had just become pregnant at the time, so we went ahead and got a new ride for the baby. Danny took his cash and headed east. He told me mom said for him to try playing professionally, as in that was her last wish for him. I'm not saying Danny's a liar, but I know he always wanted to play poker, and he never wanted to work. He'd gone through short-lasting obsessions with the game ever since he was ten, and he had lost everything more than a few times already. He was always gambling something, and he'd make some bucks at it too. I know Mom always had these idealistic images of us, so it's totally possible that she did say that. However it went, Danny was off to Vegas a few months later, and he was in Amy's grasp two weeks after that. Amy really was the best thing that ever happened to him. When they met, he was still getting his footing on the felt, so he was just hovering above homeless. They hit it off so quick, she invited him to stay with her, and that took one less thing off his always active mind. He got his game together soon after that, and actually got to pulling in about six figures that year. He referred to that sudden surge in his success as Amy magic. He went broke twice during their partnership, but she nursed him through both. If you've never gone broke, you probably don't understand, and if you've never gambled away your entire bankroll, you don't have a clue. It's not just going hungry that night, or maybe the next few days. It's psychological hell. You feel stupid, worthless, meaningless, and weak all at the same time. You're not even suicidal because that would mean another loss. And the one thing a big loser wants to avoid is any more losses. That's gambling 101, by the way. Nothing ensures losing more than being afraid of losing. Anyway, some guys fall back into alcoholism or go on a binge with coke and strippers, especially in Vegas where that stuff's like cheese in Wisconsin. Not every guy has an Amy, though. Not only did she keep the bills paid, but she eased his ego as it slowly recovered and he was able to hit the tables again and start rebuilding that bankroll up from nothing.
Like I said, Danny was always lucky like that. Amy got her end too. They were definitely soulmates. It just goes to show how cruel life is because they never got to reach old age together. They only had 13 years. My in-laws hate each other and they're going to hit their 40th anniversary in June. They did get every drop out of those 13 though. They did everything together. I remember one time when me and Ginny visited, they took us to some Thai restaurant in Summerlin and we're sitting there having a good time. I'm just looking at them like, I've never seen my brother this way with a girl. He was so comfortable and relaxed. Danny used to be a real skittish dude, again, like most gambling types. When he told me he got married, it didn't surprise me, but seeing him in love like this did. They even had to pee at the same time, like spontaneously made a move to the bathroom without thinking. It was kind of corny, to be honest. I felt stupid for being afraid she'd leave him after he went broke the first time. But when she died, I knew he was in trouble. Sure enough, he went bust not too long after we buried her. I heard he lost the last of it on a soccer game, too. Danny hates sports, but none more than soccer. He bet on Argentina, where her parents were born. Thought maybe she'd save him one last time. Maybe she did. Danny. I don't know where I go from here. Such a stupid thing to say. Where does anyone go from anywhere? We just keep moving. That's what I've always done. I never knew where I was going. I never made plans. I just played the move and saw the result, played another move, etc. I know it's stereotypical for a D-Gen, but it's what I did. Did I plan to play poker for the rest of my life? No. Did I think I'd become a millionaire playing a parlor game? Not really. I just did it because it was fun and I found a way to eat from it. Who knows how long I would have lasted in Vegas with no Amy. Who cares? It's not that big of a deal. I don't have any money. I hate this city now. I'll have to do something else, sure, but at least I got some family. Banks will take the house, they'll take the car, whatever. It wasn't really my money that bought those things anyway. I could just keep going east. Florida, maybe Atlantic City. I don't know. I don't plan, remember? I just do things. It always works for me. Right now, I'm just going to walk. Maybe I'll hit the end of the strip, or I'll turn back after a half hour. One foot in front of the other. Can't control anything past that. Can't control anything, really. There's no point in being sad about Amy anymore, or ever. I had the best 13 years of my life with her. She made Vegas tolerable. She made everything tolerable. There'll never be another like her, and that's fine. There shouldn't be. It's selfish to want more. Do you know how lucky I am that I even existed in the same time frame as her? Then I got to know her, and she actually fell in love with me. Most human beings in the entire run of time never even got to know her. That's something to be sad about. Maybe I punted that last stack on Argentina because I just wanted to get out anyway. Maybe I am the guy who walks around sad because all the casinos and all the bars and tables and stuff remind me of her, except without her. I want to be reminded of her, always, but not in the way where I just see how she's not here. She's always here. That's how it works. I'm not even sick of the city. I'm just done. Time to move on. Time to do something else. I've been here way too long. That's something Vegas had above anywhere else. 
it was the place I've stayed the longest. Bailed out of almost everywhere else before I even got to the last pair of socks in my suitcase. It can be weird when something impermanent takes so much of your life. I was never meant to stay in Vegas or with Amy or playing poker or whatever, but all those things still took a big chunk out of my time. I even believed I'd die with them all. Even though I thought I was an expert on seeing things fade, when these did, I wasn't ready to let them go. I'm 52 now and I gotta start over again. Thank God I'm used to it. Thank God I didn't have many friends to disappoint. Not much family either. Just enough to fall back on if it got bad. Now it's just a question how much I should or want to rely on them. 52 years and I have nothing of my own. I can't really do anything without help. Maybe I never could. And Argentina didn't even score. That was 5-0, the first part of Other People's Money, written, produced, and performed by me, Josh Ramirez. So every Monday, we're going to have a new chapter in the story of Danny Messina's big fall. So make sure you're subscribed and you spread the word so you get every single episode right on your phone or wherever you're listening. Also, remember my debut novel, Angie's Move, is available on Amazon now. Info is below. You can read these on my Wattpad and see the cover art on my Instagram company, Time. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to see you next Monday with part two, Crooked as Vegas.